beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, the final enemy, death, is one of the certainties of this world fallen in sin. When a loved one passes away, or we are confronted with tragic deaths in the news, the reality of this terrible enemy hits home. How frail we are, and how brief and fleeting is our time in this world. In the grand scheme of things, we are only sojourners and pilgrims on a journey through this earthly life. For some, the journey is a long one. For others, it can be quite short. But all of us must face the moment that we will go into the next life, the life after this temporary earthly life. Let us never forget that and live each day with this in mind. For although this present life is temporary and only lasts a short time when compared to the life to come, this life and how we live now has eternal consequences for either eternal life or eternal death. For those who believe in Jesus Christ as their only Savior and trust in Him alone, the character of the final enemy, death, has changed. We saw this in the previous Lord's Day, Lord's Day 16, where we confess that for those who believe in Christ, death puts an end to sin and is an entrance into eternal life. Those who pass away are not left in a mysterious state of limbo, as some would have us believe, but they go immediately to be with their Savior, Jesus Christ, in heaven. And there they will remain until the final and great day when the Lord Jesus will return and when all the dead will be raised, some to eternal life and others to eternal death. How can we be certain of this belief that the dead will be raised to a new life? How do we know that we rely on truth and not simply on a st story that is supposed to make us feel good? What firm basis do we have to hold on to the hope that there really will be a resurrection of all those who have passed away before us? How do we know that we ourselves will be raised from the dead should the Lord Jesus return after we ourselves pass away? Let us consider these questions this afternoon and listen to what the Word of God has to say about them. I proclaim to you God's Word under the following theme, we confess that Christ has been raised from the dead. We will see first the truth of Christ's resurrection, second the necessity of Christ's resurrection, and third the pl pledge of Christ's resurrection. We read from the letter of Paul to the Corinthians, first half of his chapter about the resurrection. It appears that in the town of Corinth, like in much of Greek society, 
a lot of people were skeptical about the doctrine of the resurrection. When Paul was on his missionary journey and he spoke in Athens about the gospel of Jesus Christ, they all listened patiently to what he had to say until he began to speak about the resurrection of the dead. Paul proclaimed that the Lord has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising Jesus from the dead. We can read this in Acts 17, verse 31. At this point, some of those who had been listening to Paul mocked him, while others asked him to come back. There were some who were prepared to ridicule Paul because he spoke about the resurrection of the dead. How could that possibly be true? Surely no one has ever seen that before in real life. From verse 12 in 1 Corinthians 15, it is clear that there were some also in the Corinthian congregation who were influenced by Greek thinking on this subject because some of them say that there is no resurrection of the dead. If this is what people were thinking in the congregation, then it certainly needs to be dealt with. For the resurrection is a basic Christian doctrine and is part of the core gospel message. Paul begins this part of his letter on the resurrection by saying that he wants to remind the brothers of the gospel which he preached to them. The matter of the resurrection is not a minor item which is something that is only for those who are well advanced in the intricacies of Christian doctrine. Not at all. It is something which is most basic and critical to the message of the gospel. If you wish to be a Christian, then the resurrection is one of the most basic facts upon which your faith is grounded. If you have taken a stand as a Christian, then that means that you accept the gospel as this has been proclaimed by the apostles of Christ. And this includes the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And this gospel is not just an interesting speech, but it contains the message of salvation. It speaks about eternal life in the presence of God. This message is critical for being saved from all your sins and transgressions in the sight of God. It is only the gospel message which can give true hope in a world lost in sin and iniquity, a world in the grip of the evil one. This gospel contains the true message of salvation, and no one believes it in vain. By the way in which Paul writes these first two verses, he is showing to the Corinthians that all who believe the gospel message must also believe that the resurrection took place. For they have certainly believed the gospel and did not hold to it in vain. Since this is indeed the case, Paul now repeats the basic facts of the gospel message about Jesus Christ. Paul has received this message from Christ himself. This is what he has received from Christ, 
and is now passing on to the Corinthians. They can completely trust his message because it is grounded in the truth of the Lord himself. What is this gospel message? It is that Christ died for our sins. Christ died on our behalf for our benefit. It was necessary that he actually died. He could not have achieved the same thing by sinking into an unconscious state or a coma. No, he needed to really die. Because as we confess in Lord's Day 16, only in this way could satisfaction be made for our sins in accordance with the justice and truth of God. Through his death, it became clear that he was indeed the Lamb of God who had been slain to atone for our sins. The many sacrifices and prophecies in the Old Testament pointed toward this necessity of his death. The gospel message is also that Christ was bur buried. This burial testified that he really died. Everyone at the time recognized that he had died, and therefore he needed to be bur buried. He was laid in the tomb of a rich man and was wrapped up in the custom of the time. The Lord Jesus had died like all other men who had gone into a tomb before him. There can be no doubt about the reality of his death. But the gospel message is not complete with the mention of Christ's burial. Not at all. That only sets the stage for the most wonderful and amazing fact of all. For death could not hold him captive. He rose from the dead and defeated death and the evil one decisively when he rose on the first day of the week. And also this is in accordance with the Old Testament scriptures. Think of Psalm 16, where David sings that his God will not let his Holy One see decay. Or think of the sign of jo Jonah, which Jesus himself uses while he lived on earth. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. This sign was fulfilled in Christ when he rose triumphant from the dead. Death could not hold him, but he shattered its power and arose to live forever with a glorified body. For this resurrection miracle is a permanent one. Christ's new resurrection body is not temporary, but it is eternal. He has been raised from the dead and continues in that state to this very day. He sits at God's right hand in heaven right now and remains in the spiritual body in which he appeared to his disciples after his resurrection. These appearances further underline the truth and the fact of his resurrection. The Apostle Paul mentions quite a few of these appearances in his efforts to show conclusively 
that Jesus Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. He mentions the appearances which will have an impact upon the congregation at Corinth and the church at large. First, he says that the risen Christ appeared to Peter. This appearance was very important because Peter was regarded as a leader among the apostles, and he had also denied the Lord three times during his trial. But now it is clear that Peter has been pardoned and that the one who doubted much has now seen the risen Lord. This also had an impact on the 11 after other disciples. And the two men who had walked to Emmaus had burst into their gathering with the news, the Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. And soon the Lord appeared to all the 12 disciples as well. He came and stood among them, and they put their fingers in the holes in his hands, and he ate fish. He had surely risen from the dead. There could be no doubt about it. Then Paul writes that the risen Christ also appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time. We do not read about this event in the Gospels, but apparently Paul had heard about this from some of those who were still alive in his time. For he adds that most of these people who saw him then are still living. Paul tells the Corinthians that there are still people that you can talk to who have seen with their own eyes that Christ is alive. Also, James and all the apostles, and finally, also Paul himself, have seen the triumphant Lord Jesus. By listing all of these witnesses, the apostle Paul firmly roots the resurrection of Christ in history. It really happened. There can be no doubt about it. The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead is the truth. It is a fact. At the time that this letter was read for the first time, many of these eyewitnesses could still have been visited and consulted about this fact. Their story could have been verified by many others as well. We are not able to do such checking ourselves, but we have the complete Bible, the Scriptures, which are a testimony to the facts of the gospel message. Jesus Christ has most certainly been raised from the dead. It is recorded in all four gospels. And the Apostle Paul, also here in this letter, makes a special point of emphasizing the certainty and the truth of the resurrection. It is one of the most basic facts of the Christian faith. In our time, the fact of the resurrection is again under heavy attack, and many simply assume that it is a fable and not to be taken seriously. Some who call themselves Christian regard the resurrection account as a metaphor for a spiritual experience. Most of the mainline churches have denied the resurrection fact years ago, but still attempt to preach on it 
as an experience which is supposed to help us to grow in our spiritual experiences. It is seen merely as a symbol of renewal and rebirth, devoid of any underlying reality in time and space. For many, Jesus Christ is no longer believed to be the Son of God who had come to reconcile sinners to God, but he is simply a good man who did a lot of helpful and encouraging things for many people. Many have denied that he had come to suffer and die for our sins, and that he had to defeat the power of the evil one and our own sinful flesh in order that we could be reconciled to God. But we know from the clear testimony of Scripture that Christ rose from the dead according to the plan of God for our salvation. His resurrection is necessary, for without it, we would still be in our sins and without hope in this world. So we come to the second point, the necessity of Christ's resurrection. Starting in verse 12, Paul begins an argument which shows the necessity of believing the resurrection. He shows that not only is it against the historical facts to deny the resurrection, but it would also mean denying the basic message of the gospel. Paul begins with his argument in verse 12. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? The gospel has been preached to the Corinthians, and this gospel contains the all-important message that Christ has been raised from the dead. But if this is the case, then how is it possible that some should say that the resurrection from the dead is impossible? And in the following verses, Paul carefully shows how necessary a belief in the resurrection is for the Christian. After all, if there is no resurrection from the dead, then not even Christ himself has been raised. Then there would be nothing left of the gospel. If there is no resurrection from the dead, then even the person about whom it is most certain that he has been raised would not have been raised either. But think about the implications if Christ has not been raised. If Christ has not been raised, then the preaching of the gospel is useless, and so is your faith. Then the words of the gospel are simply words with no reality to back them up then we would believe only in a hollow shell of nothingness. Then the preaching of the gospel would be a lie, and believing in the gospel would be trusting in a lie. And there are more implications. Paul continues in verse 15 by saying that the apostles would be found to be false witnesses about God and his power. This is a most serious charge especially when it concerns the things of God himself, who is always true and never lies. If the dead are not raised, if that can't happen, 
then the witnesses about these things would be false witnesses, those who would lie under oath. This is a very serious offense, and it would be something which would tarnish the gospel itself beyond repair. For then the gospel would be no gospel at all, but simply a sham and a lie. If Christ has not been raised, then there is no hope for mankind, and we would remain in our sins forever. Then everyone who has died in Christ is lost forever. If we put our hope in Christ, but he has not been raised, then we are of all men most to be pitied. For all other men did not have such a hope, which would have set them free from the consequences of their sins. Other men did not think they had such a firm and sure salvation. They had simply trusted in themselves and their own achievements and had only themselves to blame if things did not work out as they had planned. But those who believe in Christ put their entire trust and hope in Him alone. They rely completely on His sacrifice and not what He has done for them in their place. It is therefore very grievous if their trust turns out to be misplaced. Then they would fall from complete salvation to absolutely nothing at all. Then they would have to be pitied so greatly, pitied more than any others. Then in verse 20 comes Paul's triumphant proclamation. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. All of those reasonings which Paul had so carefully built up on the assumption that there is no resurrection of the dead now suddenly unravels. And like a row of dominoes crumbles up into a heap, Paul's preaching of the gospel has not been useless, and your faith has not been in vain, for Christ has been raised from the dead. Because Christ has been raised, we are no longer lost in our sins, but we have been delivered from them through his power. For as we confess in the Catechism, by his resurrection, he has overcome death so that he could make us share in the righteousness which he has obtained for us by his death. When Christ died on the cross, he offered the perfect sacrifice acceptable to God. He fulfilled the Old Testament prophecies about him and the many sacrifices which were offered. But by doing so, only half of his task was done. For a dead man, would not be able to help others to share in what he had achieved. Therefore, he needed to be raised from the dead in order that he might make us share in what he has accomplished when he died on the cross. As Paul writes in Romans 4, Christ was raised to life in order that we might be justified before God. The resurrection of Christ shows that the Lord has accepted the work which he did on the cross and deemed it to be sufficient for his purpose of saving the world.
His resurrection demonstrates that his work for us is of lasting value before God. Verse 21 of 1 Corinthians 15 also draws a parallel between original sin, the sin of the one man, Adam, through which everyone was corrupted, and the resurrection of the one man, Jesus Christ, through whom all believers are made to partake in the life which Christ brings about for those who share in him by a true faith. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. In Adam we were on the track to certain destruction, on the track of disobeying God's commandments and living only for ourselves in the way of rebellion and disobedience. But now for those who believe in Jesus Christ, for those who make his salvation their own, There is a new perspective and outlook on life. As we confess in the Catechism, by his power, we too are raised up to a new life. Justification results in sanctification, being declared righteous and holy in God's sight, results in being equipped by the Spirit of Christ to live a new life of holiness and obedience to the Lord of our life. All this is the consequence of Christ's resurrection. Through his resurrection, it has become certain that the program of renewal is underway and that it will bring about the complete restoration of all things. God has started his plan of salvation And most of the pieces have already fallen into place. There is already a new man, one who has been raised from the dead as the first fruits, one who will never die again. During Christ's ministry on earth, he raised a number of people from the dead, but all of these died again later in their second life. But with Christ, this is completely different. He rose once and never died again because he was the first fruits of the new life to come. Because he is the first fruits, we may be assured of our own resurrection. And so we come to the third point the pledge of Christ's resurrection. The last part of the answer of the Catechism reads, Third, Christ's resurrection is to us a sure pledge of our glorious resurrection. The fact that Christ has been raised already as the first fruits of the new life is a guarantee that all those who believe in him will be also be raised and receive a new body on the day when Christ returns in glory. In verse 23, we read, But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. What an encouraging message that is. The harvest can only begin to be gathered in when it is ready. Thus, when Christ was gathered 
in as the first fruits, then the Lord also knew that all those who believe in him are also ready to be gathered in. For God chose his own before the foundation of the world in Christ. When Christ has finished his work, then all the elect are also ready to be gathered into the final harvest. For the Lord, the time in between does not count. We are already in the new life in principle, brothers and sisters. May this wonderful message comfort us also in difficult times. All around us we see death on every side. We see the consequences of our sins in so many ways. But we do not need to grieve and mourn as those without hope. For Christ has been raised from the dead. And because Christ has been raised from the dead, there is true hope and lasting comfort for all those who believe in him. Christ has destroyed the last enemy, death. It is true that we now still face the consequences of death when loved ones are taken away from us. But death no longer has any power over them because of the work of Christ. Those who die in the Lord may enter into eternal life and may be certain of their resurrection on the last day when Jesus Christ returns. Let us live out of this sure hope, which will never disappoint. Let us encourage one another with the gospel message of Jesus Christ, the resurrected one, the first fruits of the glorious harvest that is coming, of which we may be a part. Christ has defeated death and removed its sting, which is sin. Jesus Christ has cleansed us with his blood, and therefore we may be presented before the Father, clean and spotless. And therefore we may look forward to the resurrection of the dead on the last day, when we will receive a spiritual body and be pure in God's sight forever. Christ has risen. Praise God for his amazing acts of salvation. Amen. Let us now sing together hymn 68, stanzas 6, 7, and 8. <clears throat> 